0: Did the high schoolers take the chairs? Yeah, I guess so. That's okay. All right. Well, welcome, everyone, to the A. Before I, we get to this Greek um, term for a second, something we all love is we love stories. Like, we all love stories. There's something so compelling. The Oscars are, are tonight. There's just something so we love movies. We love stories. We, we're so captivated by stories, right? Like, for me, there's an emotional spark that happens anytime I see in a galaxy far, far away, right? There's something that just you, you're, you're, you're engaged right from the beginning. Or maybe our uh, for our kids generation, it's once upon a time, right? Like there's something that just captivates us when it comes to the story. This is just how we're wired. Some many of you will come up and tell me like, "Something like, oh, I remember you remember you said in college something about iced coffee," and and I'm like, "How do you know that I like iced coffee?" And they're like, "Oh, you said it one time in a sermon." And then I asked them, "What was the sermon about?" I have no idea, but I remember you said that you like iced coffee. Like, so we remember stories, but we, may, we don't necessarily remember some of the content. But stories, we do remember. It's something so captivating that just, just, that just how we're wired from God of why stories captivate us, right? So this is just an innate thing in humanity that stories captivate us. Any Greek scholars out there who want to guess what this term is that I have on the screen? Greek. Besides Rafiq. Anyway, no. So the, 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 the pronunciation of this is synexarion, synexarion. So this is a Greek term, and this is, how, this is, I guess, the pronunciation of it, synexarion. Synexarion is a, a, a proper formal term given to a book or a collection of stories talking about saints and heroes of the faith. It's a collection of stories that talk about those who have followed Jesus, lived for Jesus, you know, maybe some of them gave their life up for Jesus, and it's a collection of stories. This ancient book is common all throughout Orthodoxy, and why this is such an integral part to Orthodoxy and why it exists in the very fabric of ancient Christianity is because we love stories. We love stories. Like, for us— And it's totally fine if this is not you, if you're not wanting to go all into following Jesus, it's totally fine, you're still at the right place. But maybe for some of us, we want to follow Jesus more, but maybe we, like, in in theory, it's like, yeah, I want to be a better Jesus follower. But we, sometimes we lack inspiration, or we don't even know, what what does that look like? So what, what inspires us is when we look at other people who have lived a life following Jesus, we look at them and we say, okay, you know what? I, I wanna insp- I'm inspired by their story. I see their struggle. I see their pain. I see their insecurity. I see their story, and that inspires me. So there's something about stories that compel us. Humanity gets that. Science gets that. The Oscars get that. And the fullness of the ancient church gets that. So this is why in almost every liturgical service in Orthodoxy, we read the saints of the day. And whom we honor that day, and we look at their stories, we look at their details, because when we look at their story, we want to follow it, so this is a very integral part, obviously not only to humanity, how we 're wired psychologically, but this is embedded in orthodoxy as a whole. This is why we love sayings of the desert fathers, sayings of the desert mothers, we love we love looking at their stories because this is what compels us, and there can be so many lessons from a story. the best communicator on planet earth, Jesus. Got this. This is why he loved to speak in parables. Parables just a fancy word for analogies. He used to love give analogies because he felt like instead of just them saying, come back to Jesus, he would say, well, once upon a time there was a dad who had two sons. Right? He would paint this picture of a story in order to get to the same message because maybe the message by itself, the content, you might not, it would be hard to retain. But a story, it kind of sticks with us because this is how we are wired. So the stories of the saints, in a way, teach us how not to be a fool, right? So we see how they follow Jesus, and we inspire—we we are inspired to follow them because we see their brokenness in them just as you and I are broken at our core if we are honest with ourselves. But speaking of stories, I do want to share with you this story, and I probably— you won't remember anything else for the next 18 minutes, but you will remember the story I'm about to share just because this is how we're wired. I'm making my point right now. So there's this monk by the name of St. Moses the Strong or St. Moses the Ethiopian. So his, his story from ancient Christianity from the early centuries is that he was a gangster. He was, a top of a, he was a, the, the, the head of, of, a, of a gang, and he was running away because someone was chasing him. Right? He's in a gang, and he runs into a monastery to hide. And one thing after another, you can read the whole details of his story later on, but this Ethiopian who was part of a gang was running away, and he was in the deserts of Egypt, and he runs into a monastery, and he ends up being intrigued and more curious and started questioning the reality of God and Jesus. And then one step after another, he ended up becoming fully devoted to following Jesus to the point that he became a monk. At one point in time in the monastery, there was an issue that occurred of one of the monks did something wrong. One of the monks did something wrong. So the elder a, a monk of the monastery needed to gather some other monks, almost as a counsel, to be able to kind of guide or reprimand this other monk who did something wrong. So they told St. Moses, come to this meeting. We need to have this meeting because this other monk did something wrong. We need to talk this out with him because he, he, you know, we need to see what's his punishment and so forth and so on. What did St. Moses do? So Moses went to the meeting, but he came to the meeting with a bag of sand, on his back and he walks into the meeting with a bag of sand on his back and he gets to the meeting people are like what on earth are you why are you bringing a bag of sand and there's a hole and it's like the whole like there's sand everywhere throughout the monastery and it's leaking like what what are you doing and he said this is his response if i'm coming to judge someone else because of their sin i want to remind myself that i'm sinful as well and my sin follows me wherever I go. There's natural consequences due to my own sin. Just as the sand follows wherever I go, my sins and weakness follow me where I go. So I want to keep, I want to make sure I have that in the front of my head before I'm able to guide another monk who did something wrong. I want to make sure I don't fall into blindness of me telling this other monk what he did wrong when I need to acknowledge first and foremost, I'm the one that's wrong and sinful and weak myself. So this is why, it's a beautiful story, and we see this depicted in this art, this, which is an icon following Coptic art. And So this is why in even Coptic iconography, actually Orthodox iconography as a whole, all icons, majority of the icons, show a picture. Icons depict a picture, and you'll see different elements in the background of some of the pictures because they're all telling a story. Why? We love stories. So the church gets this. This is naturally embedded not only in the documentation of the church, as far as the cynic is concerned, but also in the iconography of the church because they're telling us a story. We, are, we naturally lean in toward stories. For you and me, we have stories as well because every decision that you and I make in life is part of our story. Every decision in which you and I make is part of our story, our narrative. I mean, I don't know if this is good or bad or right or wrong, but just as we look at the saints in the church who, who follow Jesus with their brokenness, we now have their story in which we feel inspiration from. What if you and I end up being in the Senexarion? Our story is going to be written. Do you think for a second what story would they say about you in the Senexarion? But every decision we make is part of our story. You might have to make a decision. You got that text from someone who invited you to that thing. You know what's wrong. You have a decision. You tell that person no, or you tell them I'll be there. That decision has natural consequences. That's one decision that's part of your story. You can allow that decision to be part of your story where you said, I, made the, I wanted to go to that thing, but I said no because I know it's going to lead to regret. That can be part of your story. Or the opposite. You decided to say yes, and you end up going, and it causes pain and regret. Or maybe it begins an addiction, and that becomes part of your story. Maybe another example, things are dry marriage-wise. And you don't feel respected or appreciated or even you're, you're acknowledged in your own home. But all of a sudden, that coworker grabs your attention, and all of a sudden, she cares about your story, and now she's wanting to lean in and hear more from your story. Then all of a sudden, you have this business trip, business trip coming, and all of a sudden, it's just you two out for lunch, out for dinner, and then one thing leads to another. Every decision is part of your story. But we get so focused on the immediate. We get emotionally pulled in and we lose sight of the bigger picture. Every decision is part of our story. Last week, I asked us the question Are you being honest with yourself for real? I asked the question, like, we, we kind of stripped away some deception, and we wanted to get down to the core. Am I being honest with myself? Why did I really send that text? Why do I really don't want to look at that person? Why, do I, I don't, why is the reason I don't want to go? Why am I really dating this person? Why am I really making this decision? Because we're trying to get to the core, right? So, you, you, that, I mean, that was part two. You can see that online if, if you missed last week. But we're trying to get to the, to the core to avoid us falling into deception. Today's question for us to attain wisdom, what story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell? Because every decision compounds together. Every decision, the next decision, the next it's all compounding together, and it's being part of our story. One thing I know about you, you want to be able to share your story to someone else, to, to your kids, or to someone, or a, a nephew needs. You want to share your story. But you want to be able to share your story without skipping any parts. You want to share your story. Not just give like the highlights, you wanna be able to share your story without skipping any parts. But, but w- for us to be able to do that, we need to acknowledge that every decision I make naturally becomes part of my story. And every decision is, is, is loaded with consequences and, and it, just, it can lead to a trickle-down effect. So the question I want us to think through, imagine with every decision we have to make in order for us to attain more wisdom. You get that call, you get that text, you get that email, you have this extra time on your hand on a Friday night. Ask yourself, what story do I want to tell? What story do I want to tell? Imagine if if these two questions, last week's question, am I being honest with myself? And this week's question, what story do I want to tell? Imagine if I ask myself these two questions every time I made a decision. This is how I'm able to build the muscle of wisdom. If I'm able to build this into the natural thought process or sequence of how I think through things. What story do I want to tell? I I know this is definitely not just a me thing. But have you guys ever bought a, a car, you bought a new car? What do you automatically notice on the, uh, that's on the roads like, for the next like, two months after you bought the car? You begin to see your own car, right? The car you just bought, all of a sudden you see everyone else driving that same car, right? Like, and you're thinking, man, like, I, I, what, all of a sudden do I notice everyone else just bought the exact same car as I did? So I, I, I know this is not just me, this is for, for all of us, or like, you really want, I don't know, Like, uh, ladies, forgive me. I mean, you really want this purse, all right? And all of a sudden, you see everyone else having that purse or like whatever, whatever the case might be. Something's on your mind, all right? Let me not be sensitive or, uh, you know, offensive. Something's on your mind. And all of a sudden, that's the only thing you see. (laughs) The thing is on your mind. The car, the new car is on your mind. All of a sudden, that's the only thing you see. This psychologist uh, psychologist would title this being focalism. They title this focalism. Something's on your mind, all your mental calories, your brain energy is, mo- is thinking about this thing, you're consumed by it. So naturally, the only thing you end up seeing is that. For us, when we make life decisions, this happens to be the same thought that happens. I'm really wanting this. I'm, I'm emotionally pulled to do this, to go here, to do this thing with this person. We're so focused on it, and we become emotionally pulled to it. And then here, here's the critical thing. If you, you, you can sleep for the rest, but make sure you get, hear me out on this. We fall into the trap of thinking of the immediate over the ultimate. Hear me out again. We fall into the trap because of our emotions, because of the now, we end up thinking of the immediate over the ultimate. And we get pulled in. Sometimes we fall into love because of that. But in the reality, I I think, with all respect, most of the time that's I'm not falling into love, I'm falling into lust because I'm thinking of the immediate over the ultimate. Buyer's remorse, right? Isn't that, uh, that's a derivative of what we're talking about because I'm thinking of the immediate over the ultimate. And sometimes we make micro decisions and sometimes macro decisions in which we're thinking of the immediate over the ultimate because of, as as psychologists call it, focalism. I'm so focused on this one thing of of what's in it for me. I make a decision right then and we, and we, we, we don't build the muscle of taking a step back And asking ourselves two questions, as of right now in the series. Am I being honest with myself? And what story do I want to tell? What story do I want to tell? And I feel, I I mean, I don't know your story fully, but many of our regrets, many of my own regrets, is a product of me not asking myself the question, what story do I want to tell? That decision on college, that decision when we're young, whatever, we're we're not thinking of the ultimate. We're thinking of the immediate. Speaking of icons, here is one of, my cool, like one of my favorite coolest icons in the world. Um, it, this is following Coptic art of a very famous story from Jewish scripture from the Old Testament of Joseph. And maybe I'll share later if you don't know why he really looks like a pharaoh uh, and he looks like the boss in this icon. But I think it's a really cool picture. I want to share with you some highlights of this amazing story. Uh, from the sixth century BC. Some of you guys might know it, some of you guys might not know it, but even if you don't know it, you guys gotta check out this great cartoon movie. It was big when I was a kid called The Prince of Egypt. It's so good, right? So this talks about the story of Joseph, and this is just a big, 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 big story. So there's so many different elements. I mean, it makes a good movie, it makes a great storyline just because of all the drama and emotions. It has romance and action, it has everything in it. But to, 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 if I summarize this story in a nutshell here you have Joseph, one of 12 siblings, right? So 10 of his siblings are highly jealous of Joseph. And that talk about family issues. There was big issues of why, you know, the favorite mom and our favorite wife. There was issues. There was issues in the family or whatever. But it caused natural jealousy between 10 of of the brothers who were wanting to put down Joseph, wanting to kill him, honestly, uh, because of their jealousy. And talk about what story do I want to tell. Here are 10 men who were enslaved by jealousy and hatred. That they took control of the narrative to the point that they wanted to sell their brother into slavery. Well, even before that, they threw him in a pit because they wanted him just like to build a narrative and convince their dad of what happened for Joseph to die. So they wanted to get rid of Joseph. So they were enslaved by jealousy, of anger, of hatred toward their brother to the point that they were blinded. I mean, I mean, we're talking about wisdom. Those are the definition of fools. Because they didn't ask, they didn't pause and ask, am I being honest with myself of why I'm, I'm doing this? They weren't asking them this question of, what story do I want to tell? Do I want to tell a story that I killed my brother? They weren't thinking along those lines. They were thinking of the immediate over the ultimate. They were thinking of the immediate over the ultimate. So here is Joseph being thrown into a pit about to rot. One thing led to another. They decide to sell him into slavery. So he le- So he's being sold into slavery. His long journey, he ends up going to Egypt. So here's Joseph being abandoned and, and thrown into a pit, treated like trash from his brothers, left to die and to rot, and being eventually sold as property by his own blood brothers being sold. He had every single right to fall into the trap of being a victim. He had every right to fall into the trap of being a victim. Woe is me. Life is not fair. I had childhood trauma, and this is why I'm in this condition in my life. He had every right to fall into that trap. He had every single right to fall into the victim mindset. But he pushed through, and he pushed it and we'll see, of why Joseph is such an iconic figure for us. So one, one thing leads to another. He goes from being a slave in Egypt as property, and he works himself up to the point that he is the head, like, master, servant master of, of someone named Potiphar. So Potiphar was, like, the chief, uh, like, commander of the army of Egypt. And Joseph was, like, the top dog in that house, in the palace. Potiphar's wife sees Joseph, and he's like, that's a good-looking guy. And Potiphar's wife wants to make a move on Joseph. The wife of the top dog, Potiphar, is wanting to make a move on Joseph, who's, like, the headmaster, head, head, like, head servant. This is where we pick up in the story from Genesis. And after a while, his master's wife, like Potiphar's who's Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he, Joseph, refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. Just pause. Can you imagine Joseph thinking? Here's this highly attractive female who made a move on me. And, and here he is, pausing. He's not thinking of the immediate, but he's thinking of the ultimate. And he takes a step back, and he assesses everything, and he says, Wait, your husband entrusted me with everything here. Your husband entrusted me with everything here to my care. No, and then he, Joseph continues, No one is greater in this house than I am. This is Joseph saying this. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because potiphar's wife you 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 are potiphar's wife you are the wife of potiphar the man what is joseph trying to do joseph is trying to wake up her eyes to ask her man what story do you want to tell do you want to tell a story that you being at this high prestigious level of being the wife of potiphar that you slept with 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 the head servant is this the story you want to tell He's trying to wake up her eyes. He's trying to take a step back for her to think of the ultimate as opposed to the immediate. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin? Not against you, but I belong to God. This is not a you thing of me doing this with you. I'm ultimately betraying God. I'm, I'm ultimately accountable to God. I belong to him. This is not the story I want to tell. Joseph could have easily fallen into this trap. And I don't think many of us would give him a hard time. Someone made a move on him. He's low at the at, at the chain of authority. And, and, and someone higher than him made a move on him. But he was so wise. And he's actually a type of Christ. Maybe that's a different talk. But him reflecting the reality of Jesus, of him understanding, what story do I want to tell? Do I want to tell a story that... I was betrayed and beaten by my brother and sold into slavery. I worked my way up, but I slept with Potiphar's wife, and now that's why I'm serving a life in prison. Is that the story you want to tell? But Joseph said no. The story Joseph wanted to tell is he has seen himself go from nothing to where he is now, and he knows God is doing something huge in his life, and he doesn't want to screw that up. He knows God is doing something big in his life, and he knows his story is still being written. So he has full clarity of being such a wise person, of knowing what story God is wanting to work within him. And he's trying to open the eyes of Potiphar's wife as well, for her not to think of the immediate, but for her to think of the ultimate. This is a fascinating story. It goes on and on. Joseph continues to work himself way up. There's a famine that takes over the land. Joseph's brothers, who they thought definitely killed their brother, as he was slaughtered slavery and he was just nothing. He was just about to be rotted to death, or just a slave somewhere else. They end up going to Egypt to look to, to, to find food because there's a huge famine. And then, to their surprise, they see the second, the prime minister of Egypt, being their own brother. And they were—they're probably thinking. Wow, our, bro- our brother's going to kill us now, right, because we sold him into slavery, we were about to kill him, so he has every right to kill us. But here, see the wisdom, see the wisdom of Joseph. He understands, he understands the narrative in which God is working in his life. Joseph tells his brothers this, he looks him in the eye, and he tells him this, You intended to harm me, you tried to kill me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. <laughs> Joseph is telling them, you think you have a control of, of the narrative of, of, of all of this? You and I belong to God's narrative. I know what story I want to tell. Yes, you're weak. Yeah, I can say you're dumb, but you tried to kill me. But th- God is working through all of this. You intended to harm me. But God took this and did something great through me, through this. You do not control this narrative. I know what narrative, what, 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 what step I want to take. Thank you, Elizabeth. I know a story, I, I, I know what, what is God's story in my life. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. This story in the book of Genesis is common all throughout Christianity, right? This is the first book of the Bible with so many beautiful stories in it that give us so many wonderful narratives for our edification. There are another series of books in the original Bible which are titled The Books of Wisdom, The Books of Wisdom. And over the past couple weeks, I've been showing different passages, different segments that come from this. There's a book called The Wisdom of Solomon, The Wisdom of Solomon, which is not part of the Bible in which you and I might have in print, but this is part of the original Bible. And I want to share with you this passage that talks about the wisdom of Joseph, the wisdom of Joseph. Again, this is from The Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 10. When a righteous man was sold, he's he's giving a meditation of, of Joseph, being wise. When a righteous man was sold, wisdom did not Abandoned Joseph, but delivered him from sin. She, the personification of wisdom, wisdom went down with him into a pit. But she, wisdom, did not leave him in chains until she brought him the scepter of a kingdom. Scepter shows the reflection of his authority. An authority over those who tyrannized him. She, wisdom, showed those who blamed him to be lying and gave him everlasting glory glory belongs to Joseph because of the wisdom in which he attained he had in front of him the story the the, the question what story do I want to tell what story do I want to tell, tell I'm encouraging all of us to take a step back when we're making decisions at whatever level what story do you want to tell We get so sucked into emotions, maybe the desires of our own self. So many things that pull on us, that want to act on the immediate. But I'm encouraging all of us, meet first and foremost, for us to make decisions, for us to think of the ultimate. Instead of thinking of the immediate, what if we moved in the right direction to think of the ultimate? I know this might pull on different strings emotionally, and I apologize if this doesn't settle well with you. But yesterday at the marriage event, we had a marriage event for married couples, and I was sharing this. For me personally, what story do I want to tell? I want to tell the story that I can reach the end of my ministry, the end of my mission here. I want to hear the words of my daughter, Ruth, who's six right now, for her to say, Daddy, I want to marry a guy like you. This, it makes me emotional to think about this. Like, I'm thinking of that as my end in mind. Am I making decisions as a father, as a husband, as a priest? Am I making decisions thinking of the end in mind? What story do I want to tell? I want my kids to be able to see my sins, my brokenness, my insecurities, my struggles but to see how I lean in toward God through it all. I want them to see that. To the point where I want her to say, how genuine you are, Dad, you're not, the person I see at church is also the same person I see at home. That's the kind of guy I want. Ugh. I mean, that, if I hear those words, God willing, that's when I can say, Lord, take your servant, I'm ready to depart of these." That's why I want to hear those words. Are we making decisions, moving in that direction? What story do you want to tell? And if there's a whisper in your heart, this is my last thing. If there's a whisper in your heart saying, I wish I heard this 12 years ago. I wish I heard this when I was younger. I wish I heard that in the beginning of my marriage. Whatever the case might be. I want to encourage you. It is not too late. If death has been conquered, By Jesus, it is never too late. It is never too late. He is, as we prayed in the fraction in liturgy today, he is our redeemer. He is our redeemer. So he is there. This is what he does for a living. (laughs) He redeems us. He restores us. So your story is not over. But if we can from today make decisions and move in the direction to the person who is wisdom himself and ask ourselves the question, what story do I want to tell? Imagine the next argument we might have at home with a coworker, with our spouse, with our kids. What story do you want to tell? Imagine if we moved in the direction of having that question in front of us and settled within our hearts. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, the brokenness that exists within us, our selfishness, our ego, the pleasures of this vain world that try to rip us away from who we are designed to be, enslave us. It feels sometimes that we are strangled by thinking of the immediate, thinking of the now. But Lord, you are the definition of wisdom that you have beautifully designed us to be the icon of you. And Lord, you have great plans for our lives. But Lord, for us to be able to see that with clarity, we desire to humble ourselves, to break that pride, to break that ego, to break that thinking of the now, and for us to think of the story that is being played out in our lives. Lord, we desire to follow your lead on the design that you have for our lives. But Lord, give us clarity of thought and wisdom and discernment for us to have these questions settled within our hearts through every conversation, every person we might meet, through every argument, for us to ask ourselves the question, what story do I want to be written through this? Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, everybody. We'll continue the series next Sunday.